0: Please take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 16, Luke chapter 16. As you're turning there, I want to let you know how thankful I am and how grateful I am to be here this morning in this pulpit with you as the congregation of New Community Church. I love this church family. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing for me to to be here and to serve you and to preach the Word of God. And uh, I am so thankful for the legacy of the faithful preaching of the Word of God here in this place. I'm thankful for your leadership. I'm thankful for the times that I get to spend with uh, the shepherd elders and the pastors and praying with them and encouraging one another. And it is a wonderful and a humbling privilege for me to be right here behind the sacred desk to preach the Word of God you this morning. Luke chapter 16 is where we are. We're going to look at verses 19 to 31. The title of the sermon is the agonizing torments of those in hell. Follow with me as I read. I want to set the passage before you from the lips of our Savior. Luke chapter 16 beginning in verse 19. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried in Hades. He lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, there is, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we come to your holy word, your inspired word, your sufficient word. We humble ourselves at the teaching of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. He is the master teacher, the loving and the holy God that he is, warning sinners of hell. May you, Holy Spirit, be the divine preacher here this morning to take your word through my mouth. And may you minister that word specifically into the hearts and lives of every person that is here in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hell, hell is what I mentioned to them. It was the 4th of July a couple of weeks ago. I was downtown by the arch, and we were sharing the gospel, and there was a young man and a young woman that approached me in a very mocking way, in a very arrogant way, nothing kind to say about me, and far more importantly, they had nothing good to say about Christ. And as I engaged them with the gospel and continued to dialogue with them, at one point I warned them because of the life of sin that they were living and their rebellion that they had and their unbelief that they were currently living in, I, I warned them of hell. And they began laughing. Laughing. Laughing at hell. Hell is not a laughing matter. Actually, it was a great conversation. It ended with a handshake, and I told them that I cared for them and continued to warn them and plead with them to turn to Christ and to come to him even this very day. Not wait any longer, but hell is not a laughing matter. No one spoke more about hell and in greater detail about hell than our Lord Jesus himself. The Old Testament warns of hell. The New Testament warns of hell. All faithful gospel preachers warn of hell. Christians, Christians don't want other people to go to hell. And so we must speak of hell. Even those who are right now at this very minute in hell wish that they had been warned about hell. And we come to a passage in Luke chapter 16, it comes from the lips of our Savior Jesus, and it's a warning. It is spoken from Christ to the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. Now, in the context, you can look at verse 14 of our chapter, because in Luke 16, 14, it says that they are lovers of money. At the end of the verse, they were scoffing at Jesus. They're they're mocking Jesus. They're ridiculing Jesus. And even earlier in chapter 15, they were mocking and ridiculing Jesus because they said that even the, the tax collectors and the sinners eat with Jesus. He welcomes the sinners. Interesting. The Pharisees are the rich, they were very wealthy. And they were the ones who thought they were going to heaven. And then you have the sinners, the prostitute, the tax collector, the the, the city fornicator who's there in that day and they're wicked and they're poor and they're despised and nobody likes them. And they believe in Christ and they are going to heaven. Amazing contrast. Look at verse 25 in our story. This is just such an amazing contrast theme that our Lord brings out verse 25 Abraham said child remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony don't miss one of the themes believers are comforted in heaven and unbelievers are in agony in hell I want to walk through the passage with you. I want to walk through this story with you, and I want to show you the agonizing torments of those in hell. And I want to let you know, first of all, hang with me. There's a lot here, and it's tough. But I promise, I promise, hang with me. There's good news at the end. Hang with me. But as we walk through the passage together, I want to give you four considerations. I want to give you four considerations and my my prayer and my desire is that God will use this to, to sober you and to teach you and to warn you and to instruct you on how to respond to the reality of the agonizing torments of those who are in hell. This is teaching from the master preacher jesus himself he warns because he loves every parent and grandparent knows about this you warn because you love it's simple it's clear it's unmistakable and it's a jolting story it's a shocking story let's look at it together if you're taking notes number one consider two men in life two men in life There are three items that are contrasted between the rich and the poor man. The clothing, the food, and the dwellings. Let's begin where our Savior begins in verse 19 with the rich man. Verse 19, now there was a rich man and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. I mean, he, he's dressing in purple. That was expensive. That was a sign of royalty and wealth and honor and privilege. Dressed in fine linen. In fact, the text says that he lived in splendor every day. And, and we read in the passage that, that he had a large gate, it probably had a palace. And he ate great meals joyously every day. One preacher in the 300s, early in church history, put it like this. In his life, the rich man was baptized with luxury. I mean, everything the world had to offer, he just imbibed it. He loved it. He enjoyed it. He lived it up. All of the pleasures, all of the comforts, all of the delights, everything this world had, he loved it. I mean, it's like he had Thanksgiving-like meals every day of his life. But then, verse 20, there's a poor man. Look at this. Look at the contrast. Then there was a poor man named Lazarus. Was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. So here's a, here's a poor man. And his name, Jesus gives the name, Lazarus, in hebrew that would be eliezer meaning my god is helper the text tells us in verse 20 he's thrown at the gate laid at the gate probably a a lame man couldn't walk wanted a crumb had had sores open wounds Dogs were even coming and licking up the sores. I mean, mean, here's a man who was laying there, a mass of loathsome sores at the rich man's gate. He's an outsider. He's rejected. He's an outcast. He's unclean. He's gross. Nobody wants him. No human heart had pity on this pitiful guy. But let me see if I can illustrate this maybe in modern day terms, just to show you the jolting nature of the story. It'd be like if you and I were thrown in a dungeon. You're chained hand and foot to the walls, and your body is full of open sores, blood oozing and dripping out, and dirty rats are coming and licking your sores. I mean, that's just the, the gross and the unwelcoming picture of the story of the poor man. Do you see the contrast? The rich man and the poor man. Two men in life. If you're taking notes, jot down the second consideration. Two men at death. Two men at death. And let me just remind you, can I 10 out of 10 people die? Unless the Lord comes back. But 150,000 people die every day. Six thousand three hundred people die every hour, a hundred people die every minute, two people die every second. Second, second, second. Let, let that sober you. James 4 says that you are a vapor. Psalm 39 5, man is at his very best a mere breath. Job 14 1, man is short lived. It is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes the judgment, Hebrews nine twenty seven. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 20, all people go to the one place of death. Death is no respecter of persons. Dear friends, we're all going to die. We're all going to die unless the Lord comes. We're all going to die. Boys and girls, young people need to hear that. You're going to die. You're going to die one day. Look at verse 22. Now the poor man died and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Oh, what a what a wonderful Picture. What a what a great truth that that the, the poor man died and God sent angels to carry him immediately to heaven. Immediately to heaven. He goes to Abraham's bosom. Abraham, what's that? That is simply Jewish language for heaven. All it refers to is the place of intimacy with God and Abraham and the people of God. I mean, we see the the intimacy and the tenderness and the assurance and the care of every believer at the moment of death. You instantly go to heaven. Instantly. The poor man, verse 22, died and he was carried away to Abraham's bosom. But look at the contrast of the Rich man, do you see it there in verse 22? Look at how short this yes. is. Oh, the rich man died and was buried. I mean, no, no doubt the, the rich man must have, must have had a lavish and a wealthy and an extravagant funeral. I mean he he, he was well known, he was well liked, he had a, had a big home, had a big palace, maybe a big family, and and they had a huge funeral for him. but he was not carried away to heaven. Verse 23 begins by telling us he's in hell. He's in hell. Note the order how Jesus tells this story. I mean, after speaking of the poor man who died and God sent the angels to take him to heaven, oh, I mean, you would only expect the angels to take the rich man to heaven, but no, 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 there's no lavish welcome for the rich man in heaven. But, but the guy had everything. I mean, he had all that the world has to offer. He lived it up. He enjoyed life and the comforts and all the pleasures. and He had all that life had to offer. Two men in life. Two men in death. If you're taking notes, the third consideration. Consider two men in eternity. Oh, this is is the great reversal. The focus of the whole story that Jesus is going to tell here is on the rich man. He's talking to Pharisees. They're rich. They're lovers of money. They've got all that this world has to offer. They think that they're headed for heaven. But Jesus is going to talk about the rich man in hell. Verse 23, look at it here. In Hades, Hades, it's the place of the dead. It's the grave. Clearly in the context referring to hell, the text says in verse 23 he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Do, do you see here the faculties of the man that are awake and alive in hell? He sees, he feels. He understands. He can think. Fully aware of all of his surroundings, he died. And he was immediately in hell. Our Savior teaches that all the unsaved go immediately into conscious torment in hell at the moment of death. But he had it all. I mean, he had all that the life this world had to offer. But you can't take it with you. Verse 24, he continues. And he cried out, and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Verse 24, when the rich man in hell says, Father Abraham, that is a clue that in the story that Jesus is telling, that rich man was Jewish. He's crying for mercy. He's full of self pride in hell. How do we know that? The rich man in hell still thinks that Lazarus is his slave. Look at it. Verse 24. Send Lazarus to come over here and help me. He's so full of pride. Get Lazarus over here. Give me a break. Verse 24. For I'm in agony in this flame. I mean, he's he's desperate for for the briefest moment of relief. He is desperate for for relief in the unending horrors of hell. And it's hard for us even to wrap our minds around this, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to even grasp the duration of this. Let me see if I can help by illustrating what our Savior is conveying in a few ways. Imagine the great and massive sun that great ball of fire imagine for the sake of my story that that were to be hurled down to earth and then you have a a little turtle a little turtle and that little turtle's going to muster all of his strength and all of his energy and he's going to try to withstand the mighty force and the unstoppable and incomprehensible mass of fire That is about to crush it. Is that little turtle going to stand a chance? It would be crushed in an instant. How much more for a human being to try to muster up all of his energy and pride and strength and withstand the wrath of God? Those in hell are in agony in the flame. I think of it like ocean waves. Ocean waves that keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming. Think of the wrath of God like a like a wave it rolls in and then it rolls in again agony and fire and flame and torture and torment and consciousness forever in hell. And verse 24, he ends by saying, I'm in agony. The Greek word for agony speaks of intense and unbearable pain. It cannot be stopped. Verse 25, in the story of our Lord, look at it here in your Bible. Verse 25, Abraham responds. Child, remember that during your life you receive your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. I mean, do do you see the contrast here? The full realization, the consciousness in hell. The rich man had all the good things in life. I mean, he lived in comfort. He didn't trust in Christ. He lived for himself. He lived it up. He loved himself, and yet now he's in Agony. That teaches something. Friends, don't sell your soul for the good things of this earth. Don't lose your soul. Years ago, the graduates of the MBA program at Harvard came together and did a survey. They kind of created a strategic plan and had to give Answers of what the main goals of the graduates are at graduation of the Harvard MBA program. And when it all was summarized, it came down to three simple goals. Number one, the Harvard grads said, our first goal is wealth. Number two, the second goal that we have, notoriety. I want to be famous. The third goal that the Harvard grads had, we want status it you're going to live your life for that and you die and it's gone Jesus said in Matthew 16:26 what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but but loses his soul verse 25. Remember that during your life you received your good things and Lazarus his bad things. Bad things. Oh, he, he struggled. He suffered. He went through difficulty. But according to the story, he trusted in Christ. And now, verse 25, I love the words of our Savior here. He is being comforted here. Do you see how Jesus describes heaven? Heaven. A place of comfort. Isn't that good news? A place of comfort. You're with Abraham. You're with the people of God. You have all the blessings of God. Joy, happiness. You're with the Lamb of God who died for you. You behold the face of God. No pain, no suffering, no affliction, no trials. Can you imagine? Comfort. Comfort of heaven. But verse 25 ends, he is being comforted here, but you, rich man, you, you are in agony. So look at verse 26. Our Lord continues, besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and so that none may cross over from there to us. There's a, there's a chasm fixed, established. Wider than the ocean, deeper than the Grand Canyon, higher than the farthest star, it is a chasm that can never, ever be crossed. Verse 27, he said, well, then I, then I beg you, Father, That you send him into my father's house. You know what that indicates? Those in hell realize that all hope is lost. All hope is lost. Hell is truth learned too late. Well, send him, verse 27. Send him to my father's house. Why? Verse 28. Well, I have five brothers so that he may go and warn them that they may not come to this place of torment. I want you to go to my family. I have five brothers. And I want you to warn them. Because I don't want them to come to this place of torment. Hear that. What is the prayer from hell? Warn sinners. You hear that? The prayer from hell warned sinners so that they don't come to this place of torment. 29. Well, Abraham said, Yeah, they, they have Moses and the prophets. Right? I mean, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. He's, he's speaking to the Jewish leaders. I mean, they ought to know their Bible. Well, they've got the law. They've got the prophets. They've got Moses. Let, let them hear them, verse 30. He said, no, 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 Father Abraham. But if somebody goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Verse 31, but he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. So realize that. I mean, not even somebody rising from the dead will persuade people, right? And we often hear people say, give me a miracle. Prove to me that God exists and I'll believe. It's not a proof issue. It's not an evidence issue, right? I mean, a lot of people rose from the dead. Remember King Saul? King Saul saw Samuel when Samuel came back for that brief time, but Saul didn't repent. Remember Herod, the king at the time of Christ? He heard the rumors that John or one of the prophets had been raised from the dead. And it poked Herod's curiosity, but it didn't lead him to repentance and faith. Remember Lazarus, John chapter 11? Lazarus was raised from the dead. But the Jewish leadership didn't repent when they saw Lazarus. In fact, they wanted to kill him. And then our our Savior, I mean our Savior himself, he rose from the dead. Literally, bodily, victoriously, undeniably. Jewish leaders invented a lie, and they bribed the Roman guards to squelch the truth in Matthew 28. They didn't believe a man alive from the dead doesn't change a stubborn heart. You know what does? The gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation. Now, let, let, let's take a step back and kind of summarize what our Lord has taught in this story. Hell is a real place. This week I was on the streets talking with a man, and he told me that he was Jesus, which I said, sir, you're not. (laughs) And then he proceeded to tell me that, well, we're living in hell on earth. I said, oh, no, this is not hell. Hell is a real place. It's also, we learn from our Savior, it's a fiery abode where none escape. We learn from our Savior that hell is where all unbelievers go at the very instant they die and it is immediate. Before the corpse even gets cold, they are immediately in hell. It is a place where all the senses are fully alive and functioning without fail. Hell is a place of unrelenting torment. Hell is a place of crying out for mercy amidst unbearable pain. Hell is a place of conscious agony, frustration, and regret with a clear or a clearer remembrance of all of the wasted opportunities to repent. Hell is a place of an uncrossable chasm, a fixed barrier that no one could ever cross. Hell is a place with a real, crisp understanding that they're there because they rejected the biblical gospel. And hell is a place that goes on forever. 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 All of those in hell have two infinites they have to deal with. The first is they have an infinite God An infinite God in whose presence they will forever be and whose wrath they will forever bear and they will behold God as their irreconcilable enemy forever. The second infinite is the infinite duration of their torment. I mean, eternity is like like a sea without bottom. It's like an ocean without banks. After millions and millions and millions of years, it's like there's not even one minute that's really gone by. All of the damned in hell must forever be burning. All of those in hell will never be consumed. All of those in hell will be always dying but never dead. Eternity. 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 It's no wonder that Jonathan Edwards, when he was teaching on the subject of hell, he, he said, the doctrine of hell is indeed awful and dreadful, but it is of God. Y- yeah, but somebody says, yeah, but aren't there books of people who went to hell and they came back and when they returned, they wrote a book? Modern bestseller. None. No one who has entered hell has come back. No one who enters hell ever leaves. Hell has many entrances, but no exits. There are many roads that lead to hell. There are many lifestyles that could lead one to hell, but there are no doors that go out from hell. All who enter into hell remain there and no one leaves there because hell is the prison of God. God holds them. None who enter into hell ever departs. But you know what? Right now, this very moment, there is one escape. And that's the fourth consideration. We've seen two men in life, two men at death, two men in eternity. Let me give you the fourth. I want you to consider this. Consider the one man who paid it all. Consider the one man who paid it all. In the Gospel of John, we read that our Savior was crucified at 9 a.m., at 12 o'clock noon. A divine supernatural darkness came over the land. Not only physically, but it was a picture as a symbol of the spiritual darkness of the wrath of God. And then at three o'clock, three hours later, our Savior said these amazing words. John 19, verse 30. When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It's finished. Yeah, but, but somebody says, but how did Jesus say that, having only been on the cross for three hours bearing the wrath of God in that portion, and yet I deserve that and you deserve that forever in hell? What you and I deserve in eternities, how did Jesus atone for it all in three hours? Answer? Because he's an infinite man. He's infinite. He is infinitely worth more than all humanity combined. He's not merely a man, he is infinite God. And he receives, he takes, he absorbs, he extinguishes the full wrath of God. We sang it. Holy God was pleased to crush you as the guiltless sacrifice. Because he's man, Jesus died. Because he is God, he satisfied perfect divine justice. That's what it means in the Bible when Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin." God takes all of my sin and all the sin of those who believe and God puts it upon the Son. He reckons that to the Son and God infinitely, powerfully, without restraint, without any mercy, thrusts all of his holy wrath upon the soul of Jesus, the Son of God on the cross. And then he said, "It is finished." Did you know no one in hell will ever say it is finished, but Jesus did. He did. Do, do, do you hear the the infinite love in the work of the Savior? Do, do, do you see the infinite sufficiency in the work of this Savior? Do you see the infinite divinity of our Savior that he has and must be truly God in order to fully absorb and extinguish and exhaust the full wrath of God? Do you hear how he is infinitely powerful that he could do what no sinner in hell could ever do? Do you hear how our Savior is infinitely gracious? He did it. Paid the full price. Do you hear that today? Jesus took your hell. He took your hell. He swallowed up the wrath of God like the divine arrow aimed at your heart and my heart, and yet Jesus took it. He satisfied divine justice. He was crushed for our sins. Isaiah 53, verse 10, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. Galatians 3, verse 13, Christ became a curse for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin. That's why we can have such hope when we read verses Like this, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Romans 8, verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Believer here today, listen to this. Jesus received your hell. He took your punishment. He bore your sin. He carried them away. He swallowed everlasting punishment. He terminated the wrath of God. He satisfied divine justice. He drank the cup in full. And He took your lake of fire so that you will not have to go there. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Now, with all of this, so what do you do now? You, 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 we, we read this in Luke 16. We understand the teaching, we, we get the theology, we understand this. Let me give you some practical applications, or maybe implementations. Number one: examine. Examine. Men and women, make sure your're. In Christ. Make sure you're in Christ. Make sure that you've been bought by the blood of Christ. If God should keep a record of our sins, O oh Lord, who could stand? Make sure that you're forgiven. Your sin has been washed in the blood of Christ. For young people and for teenagers, they need to hear this, that young people are, are, sought, are taught and, and just pounded with, with commercials and all of these things to care for their body and to do what they want. But don't forget to care for your soul. And for all of us, men and women, don't be so distracted with life that you neglect your soul. For our children, for our our children, for our boys and girls whom we know and we love. God is a loving father and God invites and he welcomes and he calls and he commands and he says, little children, come to me for eternal life. If there is a church member living a life of secret sin, forsake it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you put that sin to death. Maybe there's someone here who's living a life of hypocrisy, where where on the outside you look good, but on the inside you're foul, corrupt, and you really are living in this world, and you love it. And you're imbibing all that this world has, and you enjoy it. But your heart is undressed and naked before God. You can't hide from the all-seeing God. Examine. Examine yourself. A second application point is exult. Exult. What does that mean? Rejoice. Oh, Christian, listen to this. Because in Jesus, you are safe from the torments of hell. I mean, you and I could never, ever, ever satisfy eternal justice in my punishment in hell, but Jesus did satisfy eternal justice for my gain and for yours as well. Christian, this isn't just something that you do at the moment of salvation when you run to Christ. Do it daily. Trust in him afresh daily. Gaze upon him daily. Daily. Reflect upon this great message of love daily. Remember what he did for you daily. Oh, that word, it is finished. I mean, there's so much hope and there's so much joy and there's so much assurance and there's so much comfort and there's so much confidence in that phrase, it is finished. Don't merely hear the doctrine, you must believe the gospel. And affirm it. And know this is my gospel, my God, my Savior, and my Lord. If you've never done this, enter in today. Today, if you hear his voice through the preaching of the word of God, don't harden your hearts. So you, you, you examine, you exult, and then third, we must exhort others. We must exhort others. And that was the prayer from hell. Go to my five brothers and warn them. Who in your life? Who in your life? Maybe it's a a parent. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a stranger that you'll encounter this week. That you need to Lovingly worn. I love when I go to college campuses. I remember one occasion I was talking with a young person, and they were yelling, and they were angry, and they were upset at the gospel that was being told. And I went up to that angry, angry, loud heckler, and I said, I love you, and I care for you. And I'm here because I don't want you to go to hell. We had a great gospel conversation. It's loving to warn. Our Savior does it. The one who warns the most in the Bible is God. I beg you, send them to my Father's house and warn them. They don't need miracles, they don't need the supernatural, they don't need all of these wonderful signs and wonders. They don't need that, they need the Word. They need the gospel. The power is in the gospel. Christian, you have it. You have it. May the Lord use me and you to warn, to plead, to beg, to urge, to communicate, to proclaim, and to compel sinners with loving urgency to come to the Savior now while they have time. Maybe you've heard of the name, in closing, maybe you've heard of the name William Booth. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army in the late 19th century. And he said, I I, I wish that I could suspend all of my army officers over the pit of hell for 24 hours. And he said this, quote, if they could see the flames and smell the smoke and feel the heat and hear the cries of the damned Then they would go out and they would preach what they have seen and heard. And they would preach like dying men to dying people. May that be our urgency as well. That we would hear from our Savior this passage. And that we would be reminded afresh of the glory of the gospel. And of the need to go to unbelievers. And lovingly, but persistently and boldly warn them. Turn to Christ while you have time. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us clarity in the word of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your boldness and your courage and this wonderful example in the word. Of how to communicate truth. Oh, Lord, take this wonderful, wonderful truth and yet hard and sobering truth and fill us with awe with the beauty of the gospel and give us a renewed zeal to take the gospel to the lost so that they might hear and believe and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, stand with me, if you would, in closing. Hear these words from Romans chapter 5. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Have a great day.